Hello everybody and welcome to the third episode of the LCG Court Games podcast with me, Finbar. I'm Trevor Cuba. Let's see. Let's talk. give a quick shout out to our sponsors. As always, we have you, the listeners, to thank for uh, supporting us on Patreon. Your efforts go to help support this podcast, our sister podcast, as well as the Discord server and everything that uh, Sebastian does with a Discord server. Websites, utilities, things of that nature. Yeah. And of course, we have our upcoming uh, FFG content. Um, so the expected release date at the moment, though I'm not sure if it's confirmed for Warriors of the Wind, is the 11th of April, at least here in the UK. Um, a lot of Unicorn players very excited to see that. And then sort of the speculation then is that maybe the Crane Pack will come out maybe a month after that, so sometime in, in sort of May. Um, and then, of course, by the time June or July rolls around, we'll start out the one uh, pack a month. Um, inheritance cycle and it'll be interesting to see how this one pack a month ver versus our usual six packs in six weeks uh, affects the game um, I know that certainly there's a lot of discussion between players as to you know whether it's better to just get all the cards out there in the space of a month and a half or whether it's better to space them out what do you think Trevor do you think it's better or worse to have them slower or faster I've never had too much of an opinion one way or another of the six for six versus the one a month I think early on this uh six packs in six weeks was really good to get a lot of the cards into the meta very quickly from because when the game launched it was a very shallow pool yeah, definitely. My only flip side of it is um, the most of the cards in the first year of the game from the two cycles we've had haven't been very effective in the high tier meta and the kind of the tournament structures that we tend to focus on. So you wouldn't can argue that we've gone like almost an entire year with almost no cards really being added. You see a few cards that like see a second life being as a crane formal invitation was almost unplayably bad before and now it's seeing one or two in almost every deck just because of how the cards shift i mean i think that's a bit unfair to say i think there's a lot of impactful cards i mean i think you've got this problem and it's a perception problem as well as a reality that the core cards are just so strong that a lot of these cycle cards are being beaten out by them and to an extent that is true with certain mainstay cards like let go way of the crane and things like that you're never going to get away from them but if we look at the things like the cards that people are really afraid of or have been like pathfinder's blade like a fate worse than death like consumed by five fires you know these are all cards from the first two cycles so i mean these impactful meta cards are coming out it is still a problem that the power level of core is so high that some of these new personalities and things just aren't replacing and cycling out the old core personalities the way they should um so you have a problem where to get these new personalities played, you'd have to do power creep, which everyone wants to avoid because that would just make the game more broken. But then you end up with a load of weaker personalities in the cycles that aren't actually replacing the core personalities. So it is a bit of a problem, that balancing thing. But I think we are seeing at least a few impactful cards come out with every set. I was literally just talking about an hour ago to my good friend Paul Ashman, who was a big L5R player in the previous version. And he was talking about... So you have these core cards that are very powerful, and then as the game comes out, we're seeing a lot more things that are like trying to get a lot of the clans and a lot of the decks up to what was kind of the top tier of last year, trying to get everyone up on that level. And now you're, we're seeing uh, the starts of some really high-end, like very impactful cards. 
and the game is going to be shifting drastically there. I mean, last year we had a entire year of Scorpion just completely dominating the meta, followed up by Dragon very closely behind it. And a lot of cards were just kind of like sneaking out wins and trying to just live their life as best they can. Now we're about to see, you know, Unicorn's about to get their pack. He has some very powerful things coming in there. Crane is right out there on the corner. Crane is already doing really well with what we have. And this is a trend that's just going to continue. So the question is, is where do we want the game to kind of settle out at, right? What's what's the appropriate speed of the game? Yeah, exactly. And that is a, that is a hard thing to decide. Um, personally, I would happily see a game settle out in a way that just relies on its core mechanics and doesn't use things like charge or things like that to break the core mechanics of the game too much. But I do understand the need for these powerful effects on some cards like cavalry reserves that do break the game mechanics just to create a bit more flavor and variety for different clans. I think it's just a bit of a balance problem there where you've got some clans who are just completely dependent on you know this idea of fate disappearing every turn and you know how that affects how they buy their personalities and things like that you've got other clans who are capable with like things like consumed by five fires of just blowing that strategy out of the water and then you've got other clans that just don't care about that because they have so many saves and reprieves it's good flavor wise but balancing personality strength and like game length and things like that people aren't disappearing as often as maybe they should absolutely um, and to go back to, to answer your question about six packs for six weeks versus one pack a month. So far, I'm really liking what they're doing because it's answering kind of like the best of all of these points where so far what we've seen is some okayish cards just in For the Empire and Bonds of Blood are the two first announced packs. And we're seeing some decent cards and then like one or two like actually very useful cards or actually like here's a alternate path and not in the alternate path of like hey here is crab weenie swarm which is kind of this weird tier two deck but no something that's an actual an effective option and is powerful enough to kind of dictate its own alternative play style already uh satoshi i can think of right off the top of my head looks very interesting duel to the death which we talked about last episode is single-handedly opens up a desire for almost any clan who wishes to splash that card to start running duels in a big bad way so as long as like these the the the, the cards that we're getting in these packs there's at least one or two cards that are like useful in the top tier meta then I'm perfectly fine with one pack a month. Yeah, I think that's the important thing. But also it does give the meta more time to learn about these new cards and practice things. Um, I just wonder if, you know, one of the clans... Like, for example, the last pack in the Elemental Cycle had a lot of stuff for Dragon, for example, like Mitsu and Void Fist and things like that. Now, if that had come out in the first pack of the cycle and Dragon had Void Fist and Mitsu from the very start, I think we would have had a completely different environment. Now, maybe that's a conscious decision to put the power level cards that are the biggest in the last pack. Um, I'm not really sure. We'll have to see. You know, as long as we're all not getting War Dogs every month, then I think we'll all be pretty happy. <laughs> well, but that is the other thing to worry about, of course, because if you get a pack that doesn't have anything good for your faction in, uh, then you're going to be in a situation where you have the War Dog Master for a month and that is your new personality and everyone else just got a, you know, an Uji or a Toshimoko or, you know, a good thing to play with and you're like, well, where's my where's my toy? We'll see how it plays out, but uh, right now I'm very optimistic. 
yeah, so am I. And I think the sooner it starts to come out, we get our sort of content coming through for this year. I think that would be good. And also, let's not forget that FFG accelerated the release plan for their clan packs because they were only planning to originally release, I think it was three or four this year. And then they decided to get out all of them before the end of the year. They're making sure that every clan has good cards. We had Children of the Empire, which is a great thing for Arthur Var because it gives good cards to everyone definitely decisions being made do they know that they can't just release cards for one or two factions that slowly and have everyone be happy with getting their cards later on they have to get them out faster and they know that so that's good and it's optimistic to move on a little bit do a quick weekly recap of what is currently going on in the discord league nothing much has happened season 13 bracket still continuing I had to drop out of it but that thing's still going strong season 14 groups have just ended and actually from the time that we recorded season 15 bracket signups have started and actually ended yesterday because we're recording today on the 31st yeah so they the group should be out soon and of course the big news from that i suppose is just the change um so that i think as we discussed i think it was two episodes ago yogo kikyo which is the spell cancel Shigendra uh, in the Scorpion uh, conflict deck um, has actually been unbanned. So previously it was banned because everyone was techie against Phoenix. Um, however, now that Phoenix is getting much stronger and uh, also has more tools to deal with the, its spells being cancelled, has more things like Cuteness Hour to replay them and that sort of thing, um, it was just seen that it was kind of unfair to not give Scorpion the ability to play this card, especially when in many people's rankings Scorpion isn't the top clan anymore and Phoenix is very strong. You know, there's a question there as to whether or not this card should actually be banned and obviously the decision was to unban it um, and just let people play with it as it was. And then like, that segues quite nicely, of course, into the Kotai results that we're seeing, because, of course, we've just had Paris finished, and, of course, over the weekend that's just passed, we've had, is it Schomburg? Two of them, in fact, that have just happened. And, yeah, Phoenix haven't done particularly well at either of those, have they? Yeah, they have not necessarily burned the entire meta down yet. Uh, before we go on to that one real quick, I just want to give a quick mention because um, these episodes take a little bit to come out. The next Kotai on the schedule that the listeners should be aware of is in Colorado on April 27th. So we have almost an entire month until the next big event's coming out. By that time, almost assuredly, the Unicorn pack will be legal for that one. So that's going to be our next metric of testing where we are in the cycle. And we will see the Purple Ponies of Doom smash their Shiro Shindo fate into everyone. And we will all realize how poor we are compared to the silk-selling uh, Unicorn clan. And we'll all be speared to death on the horns of the giant stag. It's my prediction. Those very frightening Ivory Kingdom unicorns. <laughs> <laughs> those two all of the animals are coming for us uh we'll get a uh, po pokemon themed unicorn deck with all of the animals in yeah A week ago, we had the Grand Kotai in Paris, and as we were recording this, we are finishing up, or the final day, of the Schomburg, Illinois Kotais, and some interesting results. Prior to both these events, everyone was very convinced that Phoenix was going to be dominant. Well-known members of the community, uh, Minds Desire and Johnny Shen, they've abandoned their traditional clans to go over to Phoenix because it, they are so above the curve. And they're still very strong decks. However, if you judge things by what came down into the top 16 of both these Kotais, uh, that does not seem to be the case. The thing is there that we see... You know, good clan representation in the top 16. Every clan except Lion got in there, though there was only one unicorn. 
uh, lots of scorpion, uh, three crane, four phoenix, five scorpion. I mean, two dragon. That's fairly good. One crab, uh, which you know tells you everything you need to know, really. But then the the phoenix all get knocked out um, in the top eight by. We, what we know are very very good players you know one phoenix gets knocked out by the guy who eventually goes on to win it another one gets knocked out by a very good dragon player alwyn bushek so um you know they just didn't make it through the the stream there and then you know you have the shogun playing a crab guy uh called nuggets i mean uh, and that was a very good game and that was a very close game and lots of back and forth and things so i think the win was very very well deserved in that case we did see four Phoenix come in here, which is a pretty healthy environment. But boom, we lose half of them going into the top eight, and none of them make it into the top four. So that is very well, interesting. Two, two of them. I mean, two of them were paired up. So Anil was paired up against Kalium, and you know we know that Anil conceded that game, which brought up the big debate about whether or not players should concede. But, you know, ultimately it's up to them. And I think we talked about that at length maybe two episodes ago. But he did that mostly because Kalium didn't have Hatamoto, whereas Anil did. And he kind of wanted to give him the chance at least to get into the top two and get that Hatamoto badge for Phoenix. Because I think that would have been a good thing for Kalium to do. So that's fair to me. But that also means that you lose a Phoenix straight away and arguably one of the better players who were playing that game you have to wonder what would have happened then if, if one of these people had been practicing with phoenix a lot more and trying to get that win in just went through whether they would have swung it we're still seeing some interesting results so no lions gotten here not unsurprising i know a lot of people were kind of hoping we we're going to see some strong unicorn representation and we have one unicorn made it to the top 16 they're not slacking and he immediately gets knocked out by the crane shoulder which is not unreasonable because crane is a very difficult match for unicorn yeah, and it's an unfortunate pair up, of course, because Eric is a you know amazing player. Um, so if you get paired up against him at the first round of the top sixteen, you're in trouble. I do just think that Unicorn are in a good place, but they need a bit more to knock them over. But they're getting their clan pack next week, so uh, you know they're going to get that extra bit of juice. Uh, their new stronghold is bonkers. They're getting a load of good new cards. I mean, we, we can get into it a bit, but I mean, there's some unofficial spoilers floating around for some of the extra cards of a unicorn pack. Oh, let's avoid unofficial spoilers. We wouldn't want to run afoul of FFG <laughs> and stuff. Yeah, no, that's fair. I mean, I've seen, I've seen the photos, but we won't talk about them. But safe to say they are going to put unicorn very much, I think, at the top of the pile, um, just in terms of capabilities. Speaking of cards that have in metas that have not changed much since the core environment, or at least the first set, the Crab Splash Unicorn deck has been relatively unchanged since halfway through the first six and six. Still one of the most powerful decks, still very dominant, and we see Nuggets pilot this thing right up to the end. As I understand, um, he only had like one card from Children of the Empire he added in here, and... He has yeah. been on record saying that that card, I don't even know what it is, did almost nothing to help him in this deck and could have easily been swapped out for something else. Yeah, I think that's a big problem. So we're trying to have some conversations during Paris. And one of the ones that I did have during that final was I went into the crab chat and I was like, are you happy with this? Or is it just there's nothing better? And they were like, well, look, the deck is just really solid. You know, there's no complaints about it. It can do a lot of different things. You know, it has a lot of reach, a lot of different capabilities. So you're not going to abandon it for something weaker. Um, and there aren't really any other options. I mean, all the crab players I know got really excited before for the the Pablo uh, Pinto sort of like 
you know, swarm crab, but then that sort of got nerfed to the ground by taking away like charge and rebuild combos and things like that. So they really are in that place where they do have a really solid deck that can win Kotai's, but it's been the same for however many months now, almost a year now. Uh, so I think they definitely need something to shake that up. Now, I wanted to move over to Schaumburg, Illinois, which was actually two Kotai's that just happened. And as we're recording this, uh, the second Kotai has just wrapped up with, I don't believe what I'm seeing. A lion has won a Kotai? What is happening here? What madness is upon us? They did come second in Madrid, and they have arguably got some quite good cards in Children of the Empire, um, you know, with their hand-to-hand uh, attachment hate, which makes them a lot stronger against, like, Crab and Unicorn and Dragon, of course, as well. Um, and, you know, they, they've got a few new good personalities as well. So, I mean, they have got some new tools. Um, I am still surprised. Uh, how big was that Kotai? Was it... I want to say it was about 40-some-odd players. But uh, keep in mind, there was two Kotais here. Uh, one started on Friday and had its top cut on Saturday, and then another one started on Saturday and had its top cut on Sunday, which is one we're talking about right now. So I believe both had about 40 players there. So it's a pretty decent size for a Kotai that is in a convention, the, the kind of the bane that we've been seeing from last year. This one took place in Adepticon, uh, kind of a board gamey war game kind of event with all those caveats it's a pretty healthy turnout for what it is being at 40 people here the top eight we have two cranes two lions now, so not only does a lion win there's two lions actually got in there only one crab one dragon one scorpion one unicorn <laughs> So I've got the winning lion decklist open. It looks fairly standard. It's Keeper of Earth, three hand-to-hand. So that's the main thing that was added in Children of the Empire. It's got two True Strike Kinjitsu, which is the jewel of base stats. And then it's got three of the new Shinjo Ambusher, which is the one that turns off provinces. So eight cards from Children of the Empire that have completely changed this conflict deck and how it behaves. Yeah, the, the inclusion of Hand at Hand really opens up Lion to flash pretty much any clan they want to now. Uh, because attachment hate is still very important. However, they have some. It's not as versatile as let go or calling in favors. Uh, it's a particularly limiting because it only can be affected in military conflicts and it has the option of destroying your own but this is very interesting because it just shows you like hey just having this option on the table what completely opens up the board to what is viably able to be splashed right now yeah and then even in the dynasty deck he's running three matsutsuko which is the one who reduces the cost of cards uh and then student of war is a two of which is the one with composure this character cannot lose fate or be discarded from play. Uh, another five cards as well from Children of the Empire. So clearly Children of the Empire has had a big impact on this deck. Is there anything else particularly that stands out about the Kotai in Illinois? The one final thing I want to mention about at least the Saturday-Sunday game is no Phoenix. So once again, the big bad Phoenix that everyone was very deathly afraid of, I'm still deathly afraid, I'll I'll just be honest, I don't know what the hell I'm doing in that matchup, did not crack the top eight of this event. Yeah, I think it's just a matter of give them um, some time. I mean, they, they have been strong for a while, but Children of the Empire gave them a few new tools, once everyone adapts to that new power level, I think they'll be fine. I think they'll start to win a lot more. 
Um, and also remember, they just have to get the breaks and not be paired up against you know the dueling decks or the uh, crab decks and things like that that beat them harder. So, but, but I, I do I do think with these two uh, these two kotai, it underlines a question of what to do about Tadaka, because I think a lot of people are pretty on the same page of Tadaka is game locking he's not fun to play against jaython brought up a very compelling argument about how he's actively bad for the game and warps the environment in a not healthy not fun not interactive way yeah. that said he's also like one of the linchpins of the phoenix deck and if he ends up being further restricted or possibly even banned what happens i mean you know phoenix as of two kotai's in not overly dominating and stuff we're still seeing kind of the usual suspects take it in with unicorn making a little bit more headway than they have been phoenix kind of in the same spot they've always been in but i think that's like a real problem because phoenix should be strong regardless of tadaka and if your deck is only winning because you've got one three of card that comes out every now and then and just owns the mm. board then that means that there's a balance problem. Because we see that problem with thing, with how swingy it makes decks, with relying on Kanjo District and Karada and these one-off mm. cards, you know. And the very fact that, you know, Tadako feels bad to play against, and if the entire matchup of Phoenix winning depends on him coming into play, then maybe he's too powerful and he does need to go away. But they need other personalities who are strong and fill that gap and bring them back up to the same power level without giving these embargo effects on the game. I, I think the Phoenix deck is a great introspection in what makes a deck type good. Now, obviously in this game, player skill plays a lot more into who's going to do well than anything else. But you just look at the raw numbers that an average Phoenix deck can pull. The Feral Nino can just generate lots of skill, either military or political, for free as long as it's a military conflict. They have hands down the most amount of unbow in the environment. They draw cards at a fairly absurd rate. They're, they're not exactly at spyglass levels, but between their library and their shrine maidens, they can draw a obscene amount of cards. And with Embrace the Void, not even t factoring in Embrace uh, the Five Fires and Ujina, who can just suck fate off of their opponent's characters and then eliminate characters from the board. But uh, Embrace the Void just generating a obscene amount of fate in which they can do whatever thing else. So almost every metric of the game, Phoenix and Cell at, at a pretty absurd level, and yet they're still only getting mediocre results. So what is the, what is the thing that like brings it all together? I think there's so many things that bring that deck together from like Straighten with Against the Waves and Prodigy of the Waves, Supernatural Storm for massive buffs. You know, it has so many good cards. Embrace the Void for economy. The real question is, does it still need something like Tadaka to crowd it all off and make your opponent not be able to play any cards against you? You know, is making a 10-10 Prodigy of the Waves uh, or making it a 16-16 with a Supernatural Storm, is that enough? Or does it also need this embargo effect on top of it all? Um, I think that's the big debate. But I think we will start to see Phoenix win more. I'm quite excited to see them win more because they haven't actually won that many Kotais. Um, whereas, you know, we've seen Crab take a lot. We've seen Scorpion take a lot. And we're seeing Crane, who everyone has been saying pretty much since the beginning, Crane has always been tier like 1.5. They're not quite in the top tier, but they're so close. They're like etching out there. But they won Worlds. <laughs> we, uh, we won the first Gen Con back in the core set. We won Worlds. Um, 
We immediately got a bunch of our stuff nerfed on the restricted list, but the Children of the Empire have opened us right back up and we're seeing more consistent results. And we're seeing this right before the crane box comes out. Unicorn is literally like a week or two away and Unicorn are gonna get some interesting tools and a, a well needed power boost. And that's gonna be one conversation, but in about a month, crane who are already there are going to get a massive boost and i'm saying this as a crane player i think crane is going to be a problem i think crane is going to be a massive problem I, i'm going to enjoy the summer as i'm just winning these games with my horribly busted cards but yeah i'm looking forward to the ban list that's coming <laughs> yeah i mean we'll see i don't know that crane out of kudu is going to be as much of a problem as people think but then i tower and you can't duel me so uh we'll see it might be a bigger problem for other people Um, so that's really it for the Kotai season at the moment. I mean, there's a lot of stuff still up in the air after Children of the Empire, and of course things will be changing quite a lot next week as well. So, I mean, we are really in that summer period of the meta just changing every couple, every month or so. Uh, it's an exciting time for everyone. I think that's quite good. Um, so, I mean, the only other interesting news that came out during this week is, of course, Moto Chagatai being spoiled. That he did. Everyone sort of knew that he was coming because he is the pack art for the Unicorn pack. And, you know, Chagatai, for those who don't know, huge figure from the old card game. Um, he's one of the very few characters in the old card game that managed to get up to Experienced 5. Uh, that means that he was printed six times with six different abilities and costs, starting out as a very cheap, I think he cost eight gold, uh, and going up to like 15 or 16 gold. Uh, in terms of like his... His law, he basically took control of the unicorn, became the Khan, he marched on the Imperial City, he waged wars, he beat up everyone. It was just this massive plot character for a very long time. So I think unicorn players especially are very excited to see him and also very excited to see where he's going to go in the storyline. And even in his flavor text, it says, where is it written that the card of, Ka the card of cards must always be a Shinjo? So the card, of course, being the leader of the Unicorn Clan, clearly he already has designs on that spot. So that will be quite interesting to see. Uh, let's see. Moto Chagatai, unique character, is a five fate cost character, six military, three political, two glory, Bushi Cavalry. As a trait, this character does not bow during the conflict resolution of conflicts in which a province your opponent controls was broken. Yeah, this is everything Alton Cernai ever wanted to be, and it's also very thematic of what uh, classic Chagatai used to be in the old game, which is, oh, I've broken one thing, I'm just going to keep this train wreck going. Yeah, yeah, so he just moved himself to the next fight, because you used to resolve them one at a time, uh, <laughs> which was always quite fun. Um, and that's also why he got banned, actually, in the old version of the game, because he was just massively stomping on everyone. Moto Chagatai is from a bit before my time in the game when I first got into it proper, the old game. Uh, so I've only known him by reputation, but I also know his reputation is kind of stereotypical of how does an L5R character get popular? Uh, which often is less like, oh, this character is really cool in the story of, no, this character had like a busted card. And so the community really like rallied around them. I was like, hey, this card is busted. I want to see this card in every story now <laughs> yeah because that was part of how old l5 will work because you could pick a character to go and do something you know much like the world's result from this year so once a character became popular and had a good ability people would just be like yeah well let's just send him in and then send him in and then he doesn't die of course so send him in 
uh, and then they get experienced versions and they keep coming back. So this card is mega. It's going to work very, very well with the unicorn, the ivory um, kingdoms unicorn we talked about last week. You know, you buy him, you buy the unicorn, or you charge one of them in, you break your province, that's 10 military strength to start with, whatever else you've got in play. You break that province, you do a military conflict immediately with him into the next one. You sacrifice the unicorn to the stronghold, he breaks another province, then you do the third attack with him in, with the stronghold attack, and then that's three provinces in one turn, and he's still standing to defend against a, a, a last conflict. If there is one, or you know, if you've already gone through them all, then he's still standing for the favor. And yet I still find myself rather unimpressed by him. <laughs> And this is good card design. He has a very strong effect. He's worth spending five fate on. His stats are excellent. But he has clear weaknesses and ways to play around him. And control clans, clans like Crane and things like that, will have ways to stop him. And even Dragon will have ways to stop him. So, for example, you know, the Steward of Honor, Steward of Law uh, for Shame combo shuts him down because he's bowing outside of conflict resolution um i mean he could get i am readied if he has fate on uh but that's still very good or maybe ready for battle if they're splashing uh lion which they might be um you know dragon could duel him and bow him you know there are plenty of effects that bow people in conflict or blank people and all those sorts of things so this card is a very strong card but he's strong in the area that he's supposed to be, so in the conflict phase, in those military conflicts, but also maybe in political as well, because his ability isn't limited to military. But also there are several key ways to stop him if you need to that an opponent can rely on, which is good card design. With Children of the Empire, we see a lot more bow than we ever have before. Yeah, definitely. Let's see, the because he costs five, while he's worth buying raw, he's most likely going to be charged in to most conflicts. In which case, like, you know, now we're dancing around the how many cancels does anyone have? Uh, the Defend Your Honor is being very popular in a lot of decks, so you kind of go in there with your little unicorn scouts and try, like, oh, I'm going to charge Chagatai in. No, I'm going to duel you. And then nothing nothing happens. Everyone feels bad. And if you just get charged in... I'll duel your Aichi Wayfinder. Yeah, come at me, boy. <laughs> let's say everything goes great. He comes, he gets charged in, or he goes, uh, come, um, and he takes the province, and he gets to stay unbowed, and then I attack the unicorn, someone attacks the unicorn and declares water. He has no fate on him, so he gets bowed. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that's what I mean. So there's lots of very clear ways to play around this card, but that doesn't diminish the potential power effect of this card that I think makes it worth spending the fate on or worth charging in and worth a slot in the deck. Um, and if you don't have an answer, it is going to stomp all over you. My thing, to underline my biggest concern with him is that at the end of the day, it's still a win more ability where he's only getting his ability if you win the conflict in a situation where Unicorn are already struggling just to win the conflict they're in. I think they're quite good at breaking a, a province. Their main problem is the amount of resources they have to commit to breaking that province, which of course is helped by characters like Chagatai who are uh, an unlimited resource as long as they win and break. He's going to help them spend less resources to take provinces in the long run, which I think is what they need. In a very similar theory, because we actually have uh, something similar right now, the Emperor 
Hontai the 38th, uh, Joe Dan himself. How have you been finding that? I'm hearing mixed rumors about his effectiveness. Uh, I hear a lot of people say they, they fear him. Um, he can be warping on the board when he hits the table. I was never impressed with him when I was looking at him, and the handful of times I've seen him on the board, he was kind of annoying, and I found my way able to work him around. I think only one or two decks he ever crossed into the top 16 with, and then he never saw any play further than that. What are you feeling on this? Uh, the Emperor and then six-cost characters in general. Uh, I've played against you know games where the Emperor has gone really well, and it's just made me feel like I was locked out of the game. Specifically in like Old Stronghold Phoenix, where they have like Kanjo District and the Emperor, Emperor out on the board together, and you're just sitting there looking at it being like, what, like, what do I even do? Um, but in general, I think he's a heavy investment. He stalls the game out a bit, but does he help you win straight away? I think he's hard to get into play. I think six-cost characters are hard to get into play unless you're cheating them into play. You know, we saw Firebird come into Phoenix when Charge was playable and then disappear the second that Charge wasn't playable. Like, the fact is that six just feels like it's too expensive to justify for this game, basically. It's just too much of a fate investment, especially where there's a lot of kill effects, like uh, I can swim, like the duel to the death, um, and all these things are coming in, and that six fate can just go away so easily. I mean, if your six fate gets noble sacrificed, that is just game losing. So I think six fate is a very hard investment to justify. Fuchiko, the, the Phoenix uh, six drop, I think it was one of the... That's probably the best of the bunch that we've seen so far. I have no idea what the Crane one's going to be. But um, I thought that one was a little bit better because Fuchiko wanted to die because when it leaves play, it pulls someone out of the graveyard. So having that at six fate was kind of fine because you wanted to... It's one of the few characters you want to go away. Um, or not, you want to stay around. So entire ability is revolving around staying around. And then you kind of... It, it highlights the point of... Well, these guys generally start off with like six in at least one skill, if not more. And one would say like, oh, just having that much force on the board, that should be worth the investment. But, you know, speaking of Chagatai, like, oh how easy it is for the stuff to get bowed, to get mitigated, to get uh, redirected. Um, big Dumb Force, traditionally in L5R, has never gone very far, I would say. It is usually better to have two characters that have three strength each, and potentially another ability, than to have one six-cost character on the table. You know, obviously there are going to be exceptions to that if we have incredibly powerful six-cost characters. But so far, I mean, things like Beyushi's Whisperers, you know, have we seen those six-cost effects that you really want to play? Remember that Fushishio's main thing was that he went away and they got you with someone else back. So you, you wanted to charge him. You didn't want to put fate on him and keep him around. So, I mean, we've only seen two six-cost characters so far. Obviously, we've got the new pack coming out next week and the Crane pack track record so far for these six drops has uh, not been stellar I'd have to say yeah. and that that is kind of justified because they are an expensive investment based on the mechanics of the game with strongholds that only get six fate a turn or seven fate a turn you know yeah so I mean let's just wrap up shall we shout outs and, and closing so for first of our shout outs as is tradition there's a legend of a man his name is Sebastian. <laughs> Who does all of our editing. Yeah. Um, Saint among thanks men. Thanks to him uh, <laughs> for doing all the Discord stuff and editing this podcast. 
Um, shout out, of course, if you're just listening to us for LCG stuff. Maybe dip your toes in the water and go and listen to the RPG half of the podcast. We'll talk about lore and stories and how to build your RPG characters. And you know what? I'm going to give a special shout out to one Miramoto Matten, also known as Worker B on the Discord, because he is our number one fan, as far as I know. He, he commented and say, hey, I like your guys' podcast. So you know what? He gets a shout out. <laughs> we'll, we'll take it. Yeah, we'll take the good feedback. Yeah. <laughs> And yeah, I think that's it. I mean, of course, thanks to everyone for continuing to be very positive about this game. And everything's great. And we're going to get new cards soon. And new ideas. And new metas. And everything. Yeah, I think that's it then. So, yeah. See you next time. See you next time. Sayonara, listeners.